Welcome, everybody, once again, and thanks for joining us on the Digital Selling Secrets podcast. And I'm your host, Jerry Moneycarote, and uh, co-host here, uh, Gary Dennis with Unbiased Data. Unbiased Data is one of our sponsors, and thank you so much, Unbiased Data, for all, the, all that you're doing for us. And a shout-out to another sponsor of ours, which is Odds Marketing. A huge shout-out to them, and thank you so much. We have a great, great guest here today, and that is Peter Coffey. Peter had joined us on another podcast of ours a while back, so um, he's Vice President of Salesforce. And Peter, thank you so much for joining us. It's great to be with you again. There's been a lot going on. Well, that's definitely something that we want to talk about. Could you tell us a little bit about what's going on over at Salesforce and upcoming Dreamforce? Well, it's hard to believe that I think it was within the last year that we announced the MuleSoft acquisition, and now we've doubled down on that in financial and in other terms with the announcement of the intent to acquire Tableau. The degree to which, with many people not noticing, Salesforce has evolved over the 20 years of the company's history, the 12 years that I've been here, from being an offerer of a software as a service alternative to CRM to now being a much more comprehensive platform, not just in the development sense, but in the sense of everything you do that acquires data, that finds understanding of customer desire in that data, that delivers fulfillment of that desire, that helps you be the digitally transformed company that most of our customers tell us they want to become. That is that is really the the breadth of the conversation that we need to have at Salesforce today. And let me tell you something. That stock ticker symbol of CRM is is the reason I have to get you know on on airplanes two hundred days a year to go out and say to people, yeah, but it's so much more than that. Right, right. And I I think that's a great point that you're making because we're you know we we've been talking about on our podcast the different platforms that are out there, LinkedIn, for example, or even Salesforce as we're talking about now. Uh, many of us have this mindset that it's only for one specific thing. And Salesforce, for for example, you think it's only a CRM, but it's a whole, whole lot more. And in the big picture, very generally, water runs downhill in the direction of making your existing silos bigger and faster and, and richer. Water doesn't run downhill in the direction of silo busting. That requires a conscious, often C-suite led effort to say, Hey, you guys, stop measuring your contributions by your individual traditional metrics in sales, service, marketing, and so on. In many cases, not only are those metrics inadequate, they can even be counterproductive. For example, among the most important conversations we're having today is that service has for so long been regarded as an overhead, as a damage control cost to be minimized. The job of sales is to create revenue and profit. The job of service is to prevent customer defection. This is the old thinking on this subject. And so if service is a cost to be minimized, then call handle time is the metric which is to be made as short as possible because that's how you know service is, is measured in terms of productivity. Service has not traditionally been measured for upsell creation for customer loyalty improvement, for ecosystem strengthening. And if we have a conversation that says, look, we're going to introduce some amazing AI capability and some amazing self-service capability and some fantastic ability to create a continuity of experience across mobile and desktop and so on, with the result that by the time a human service operative becomes involved, 
all of the ordinary routine low-hanging fruit has been taken care of by something else. And mm -hmm. so now your average service conversation goes from maybe two minutes to maybe five minutes. Mm -hmm. People say, wait a minute, wasn't, wasn't that the opposite of what we were trying to do? And you have to kind of right. smack them on the head and say, no, dummy, you were trying to elevate your service from damage control to profitability improvement because you can easily add one or two percentage points to profitability by creating the kind of brand loyalty that a superior service experience provides and which you can afford to provide if people are not wasting their time on the routine stuff that can be better handled by a chatbot or a self-serve. So that kind of cross-silo conversation about, remember, the ultimate product of all your work is, as, as, as Peter Drucker said, is, is the creation of a customer. That's what a business does, is create the, the existence of, of a thing that is called a customer. And that's not the way that most companies' org charts encourage them to behave. It's not the way IT makes it easy for them to behave. And as I said, I was literally you know, out of town 198 days last year because these are conversations where you kind of have to get in people's face and say, I need you to kind of turn inside out your ideas about what constitutes doing your job, let alone doing your job well. Peter, that's, that's very interesting you say that because Jerry and I were always talking about how the sales process is changing and how it's becoming more digital. And a lot of times when you talk about that, it's, we're, we're talking about social media and prospecting and cold calling and developing relationships through LinkedIn. But this is a whole nother um, area that's operating in parallel where the sales process, again, is going digital, but just a little bit different. Can, can you explain exactly how uh, Salesforce handles some of those tasks and, and sure. helps speed things along? Sure. Well, the role of social media is often underappreciated that might sound odd people might think that it's that's overhyped if anything but no even in the b2b world where a business forum provides the place where you consult with your peers as trusted advisors before you engage and so you've probably all heard metrics like by the time you get to make what you used to call the first call well, your customer is already 60 to 65% right. through the pipeline, depending on whose metrics you believe. So the role of social media should be recognized as not merely the creation of brand awareness, which many people were very proud to be achieving only a few years ago. It has to be viewed as the opportunity to nurture and, and promote a trusted advisory network of customers who've become your brand ambassadors. And so if anything, we need to double down on Peter Drucker. We don't just want to create a customer. We want to create an advocate. We want to create you know, a brand zealot. You look at a brand like you know Patagonia, for example, which I'm happy to mention. It's a great Salesforce customer. And they've made their brand represent not merely the quality of their gear, but the whole set of values that as a Patagonia customer, you're embracing and promoting by you know wearing or carrying gear with that trademark on it in a whole lot of areas up to and including that amazing ad they ran on black friday weekend saying please don't buy this jacket because they were promoting the idea that they wanted to be part of a process of of reuse and and you know um upcycling and not just recycling of of stuff that's a role of media that is not merely taking all the old madmen advertising tropes, porting them to a Facebook page and congratulating yourself on checking the box of a social media presence. 
Right. When you look at what well, it's hard to believe that at one point six hundred ninety million dollars for Buddy Media was the biggest acquisition we'd ever made because now of course we're you know doing acquisitions bigger than that by a factor of twenty. But at the time that we brought them into the Salesforce portfolio, my recollection is that roughly ten percent of Facebook ads were being placed through Buddy Media with their ability to micro-target an audience to curate a conversation. Then that in turn became part of a larger package that we call Social Studio, which allows you to craft campaigns that you would never have attempted to deliver in traditional mass media or even in you know, not 10 years ago media, but where you really can now build not the annoying web ads that say, oh, if you were looking for this yesterday, you might be looking for it still today, but can anticipate though, well, if you were looking for this yesterday, what will you be looking for next? Last time I bought a new car was in 2010. It was at least three years before ads for the cars I cross-shopped in 2010 stopped showing up on every web page I went to. <laughs> that's, that's what you might call zero with order awareness in advertising. Uh, but you know, first and second order awareness would be saying, Hey, let's see. He he last brought a bought a car in 2010. Maybe he's interested in uh, in um, uh, upgrades. Maybe he's interested in you know the sport exhaust or an interior makeover. Seeing the phrase we use a lot at Salesforce's customer journey. This is a piece right. of vocabulary that came into the company when we bought Exact Target a few years ago. At 2.6 billion, it was the biggest acquisition we'd ever made back then. That used to be a lot of money. Uh, but the, that that word journey infected the company, and I mean that in a good way, where we talk about the employee journey, we talk about the customer journey, we talk about the partner journey in the sense that the interaction with anyone is not a series of separate transactions. It's not 50 first dates. It's a progression of increasing trust that leads to not just constructive input, and they become your most important product design lab, but they also become today your most valuable and credible marketing. Yeah, and it sounds like it's all about being predictive, and, and you collect all the data, and you try to anticipate what the client wants before they even know that's what they want. Um, yes, and that word prediction is really important. Uh, I, I tend to push back against overuse of the phrase artificial intelligence because it simultaneously promises too much to the people who are paying for it and threatens too much to the people who fear that they'll be displaced by it. Mm -hmm. And so I prefer to say, look, this is about collecting data, identifying patterns, predicting events and offering, you know, opportunities after which I say, I totally don't care if you call that AI. Mm -hmm. AI is a means to an end, and I'm troubled by the degree to which people say, I want to have an AI project. That's about as useless as saying, I want to have a database project, or today, even more, con more contemporaneously, I want to do a blockchain initiative. Don't use phrases like that. Talk about a business outcome you want to achieve, and then look around. And the technology is, is there. It's cloud services and APIs and the chance to orchestrate amazing initiatives in a low cost, rapid fire, minimum viable product way and quickly figure out what's going to work for you and then double down on that and not have spent a lot of money uh, chasing, chasing projects that turn out not to be effective for whatever reason. Be experimental. 
so Peter, how, how would you suggest people get that conversation going to, to start uh, getting this change? That's a uh, great question. There are two really simple ways that anyone can do this in a get forgiveness, don't ask for permission kind of way. Right. There, there are at least two ways to do this. One, in any organization, I will pretty much guarantee you can walk around and you can find key organizational knowledge and business logic that live in a spreadsheet because spreadsheets are how you can get it done today and adapt it quickly without involving yourself in what most people regard as an expensive and time-consuming process of doing it you know, through formal methods. And if you can find a project where everyone knows how dangerous it is that this key you know, piece of, of, of corporate intellectual property and process is living in a spreadsheet and say, hey, do you realize that today turning that into a secure, collaborative, mobile-capable application would literally only take a couple of hours and wouldn't cost us anything because we get the Salesforce free developer account and we show it to you before you start paying anything to give people logins to that. That's a conversation I began having with people 10, 12 years ago, but it's <laughs> still a revelation to people that you can do that. So I pretty much will guarantee you, if you walk around any department, you can find a candidate for something that everybody knows is really important, but it's a rapidly moving target and agility is highly prized. And so the ability to do it with a cloud service will be exciting to people. So that's number one. The other thing that almost every organization has is a 90-10 or maybe even a 95-5 rule where you know 10% of your customers generate 90% of your profits. Right. And where there is a, a premium offering, a, a premier offering of the Lexus to your Toyota, as it were. And that is a market in which small investments on projects where scale isn't a terribly high concern, but the ability to achieve genuine market differentiation in that highly profitable sector is, is highly prized. I remember when I was working on my MBA, which means it was, gosh, 30 plus years ago, my um, uh, economics uh, professor observed that when, when Merrill Lynch noticed, they were still a Merrill Lynch back then, when Merrill Lynch noticed that the economics of IT made it feasible to offer high wealth individuals the kind of overnight cash sweep function that had previously been only practical for corporations and they created the Merrill Lynch cash management account offering. His comment was, everyone who switched their brokerage business from someone else to Merrill did not switch back when the other guys caught up. You know, you get a ratcheting effect where if you consistently bring new high engagement, high you know, high-touch offerings to your luxury sector before everybody else does, eventually you wind up with 100% market share. Mm -hmm. This is something Walter Isaacson was talking about in the context of the Apple Watch and, and Johnny Ive leaving Apple. And he yes. said, you know, the problem with Johnny is that he thought that the Apple Watch was and should be a luxury product. And what he didn't get is that to deliver today a really rich and sophisticated offering, and I say offering, not product, because so many offerings today are a mixture of a product and a service. Mm -hmm. right. To deliver a really rich and sophisticated offering today requires the kind of investment that's only feasible at scale. And so I think Walter's comment was, if it's not mass market, it's really probably not tech. If it's really luxury, it's, it's, it's really not tech because luxury is almost by definition a small market. And small markets can't afford to be the best stuff. And so his comment was, 
over the next few decades, you're going to see the really good stuff. Everybody has the really good stuff because you can't afford to deliver the really good stuff except at massive scale. And in a way, that's a really inclusive statement to make is we're going to give you the kind of concierge service, the kind of knowledge of your entire history as a customer, the kind of proactive attention to what you might want to have that used to be available only to the ultra, ultra rich. And now everybody gets that. Look at what Amazon Prime does for a you know, right. working, working right. couple, two wage earners, no time to, to go shopping around for the deals and stuff. But they've got people for that. They're called Amazon. This is what Amazon is really offering. Right. Now you've got people for that. Or you've got cloud services for that. That's really the product. The product today is some piece of quality of life, not an object and not just a, a function or a transaction, but becoming part of someone's everyday life where they really would have a hard time imagining living without you. And you want to hear them say that. You want to say, I can't believe I ever got along without this. I can't imagine how I would live without this. If you don't achieve that today, someone else will. And they'll turn you into a piece of their supply chain while they make all the profits because they're the ones creating and branding that amazing experience. Wow. That, that's, well I think that's, well said. Yeah, I think it's a powerful message, Peter. And with all of this coming together, I mean, we've talked about you know, how Salesforce is not just the CRM system, the acquisitions that are happening, the innovative uh, offerings that are being uh, brought forth. What is the vision of Salesforce? What's the grand scheme with everything happening and, and the, the fast-paced growth? What, what, where do y'all see yourself 10, 20 years from now? You know, if you want to see a movie, a really well-realized visualization of living in the world that we're enabling, you're not going to be expecting this, but go Google Corning as in the glass maker, corning a day made of glass. Because they made a couple of conceptual videos about their product, which is you know advanced glassworks. But what it would mean when if essentially every surface around you is delivering information to you or with touchscreen or other input, accepting input from you, then throw in a dose of um, Amazon Echo uh, or, or, or Google Home and you can just talk to your room and your room shows you what you need to see and executes the, the interactions with the other service providers that you want to have. And we, are, we, are, we have built the portfolio that can acquire the data from behavior and events and devices instead of the error-prone and time-consuming process of salespeople having to update call sheets. Our Salesforce voice offering doesn't just transcribe your notes. It recognizes that a certain name is the name of a contact, that a certain other word is the name of an account, that a name of a day is when you want something put on a calendar. And so we can show a salesperson driving back to the office, dictating their notes to their car, and when they get back to the office, their calendar's been updated, tasks have been created, deal parameters have been adjusted based on the conversation they've just had. That's what AI is really for. That's what it's for. And, and we are demonstrating that as working stuff now that's going to be generally available in 
reasonably you know near near term time frames of course we have our big dreamforce conference coming up in in november of this year and we generally work pretty hard to have some pretty cool stuff to show people that Absolutely. I've heard so much about Dreamforce from various people I follow in the digital sales industry. It seems like a conference that anybody should want to attend if they want to stay up to date on, on digital selling. The challenge of Dreamforce, when I joined the company 12 years ago, we were very happy to have 8,000 people attending. This year will probably be our fourth consecutive year when we will max out the city of San Francisco at 170,000 attendees. Wow. And that doesn't include the shadow attendance, which I estimate to be another 50% on top of that of people who say, well, it's going to be you know, a customer-rich environment. I'm not going to buy space at Dreamforce, but I'm going to buy a suite in town if I can get one, because essentially every hotel in San Francisco, across the river in Oakland, and down the freeway in Burlingame is completely soaked up by this. It used to be you could say, I'm going to go to Dreamforce. I'm going to go to the keynotes, wander through the expo, go to a few breakout sessions. Now saying I'm going to go to Dreamforce is like saying I'm going to visit the United States for a week. <laughs> Dude, what are you doing? Are you going to national parks? Are you going to cities? Are you going to East Coast, West Coast? And so we publish dozens of infographics on three perfect days for a marketer, a financial services person, a manufacturer at Dreamforce, because you have to go there planning to carve out a sliver of, of the pie, all of the contents can be available on video later anyway. So mm -hmm. bogging yourself down with the calendar of the sessions you want to attend is really missing the point. The cool things are going to happen when you're sitting on the lawn at the you know, Yerba Buena Gardens having a box lunch with someone with, with three other people from completely different businesses than your own, getting ideas that you simply wouldn't have gotten going to an event that's specific to your vertical. But if you were to carve out the verticals of Dreamforce, the financial services track at Dreamforce, for example, is the largest financial services technology conference in the world. Mm -hmm. The Internet of Things track at Dreamforce is twice the size of the largest dedicated IoT conference in the world. And I could go down that list with 13 or 14 domains in which that piece of Dreamforce is the world's largest event for specialists in that area, but it all takes place under this overarching umbrella of acquiring data, understanding behavior, predicting and anticipating and delivering on customer need before the customer can even articulate it. And let's face it, everyone's got a customer. Some people bristle at that word. People in healthcare say, we don't have customers. We have patients. Patients, yeah. <laughs> right. say, we don't have customers. Right. We have students. We have faculty. And, you know, right. And financial service people, I say, I have clients. Clients. Well, I'm sorry, Peter Drucker, one I want to get. If there's someone who gets to tell you whether or not you did your job right, they're your customer, get over it. And, <laughs> and, and the ability to, to deliver on their rapidly rising expectations. And this is, of course, the other challenge that faces people today. The phrase that you'll often hear is the best experience anywhere becomes the expected experience everywhere. So if you deliver pizza, you're in competition with Netflix. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's okay. funny. Then you have sales professionals that don't want to be called sales professionals. They want to be called account managers, account executives. And you know, I, I'm, I'm totally fine with that. And and every now and then I will run a little internal report for the, for the benefit of the company saying, hey, here are all the people in the company with the word account in their job title, and then I filter out the ones that have accountant, the ones that are by, by definition of their role, make the full power of Salesforce real to our customers. And when you look at the curve of our growth and realize what that implies about the average amount of time that half of those people have been with us, you realize that the continuous process of onboarding our new people, and this is a conversation I have with, with our onboarding team, 
re-onboarding the people who've been with you for two or three years. You know, treat, to, kind of saying to everyone who's been here, you know, every three years, okay, for the next three days, we're going to pretend that you're brand new here and we're going to introduce you to the company that you work for now because it's not an incremental evolution of the company you joined three years ago, six years ago, nine years ago. We don't have very many people who've been with the company as long as I have. One works for me. He's been here with us for 16 years. So we have a long tail of corporate memory. And that's valuable because we've walked on the coals of fire and jumped through the flaming hoops. And we, we know things that people just walking in the door who've, who've you know, never lived in a world without an iPhone may not fully appreciate about the people who look a lot more like me, who may be, you know, the, the deal maker or the deal obstructor uh, in a company. And the, the need to meet the customer where they are and bring them to you and not just say, Hey, I'm up here. Come on up. No, you, you, you gotta, you gotta get to the customer where they live and show them the path and, and not just show them the destination and let them figure out the rest for themselves. Thanks, Peter. I, I know we're running short on time here. I just want to say, I, just, I remember the first time I heard you speak in Houston, and I'm, I'm glad we, we have been able to stay in touch over the years, and you're able to make time My pleasure. for the podcast today. Um, so there you go. There you have it. Salesforce is continuing to grow, continuing to innovate, and keep a lookout for Dreamforce coming up. Just want to thank you uh, for tuning in to Digital Selling Secrets Podcast, and stay tuned for additional future episodes.